to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, Democrats are working to prevent America from defaulting on the debt created largely by the Trump administration, as Republicans are threatening to cut vital food programs. Both parties are not the same. But we are also launching Earth Week and Earth Day and are joined today by one of our very favorite environmental activists and actors, the one and only Ed Bagley Jr. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Jennifer, it's great to see you. Welcome back from your vacation and work trip, and you've just been traveling out there doing all kinds of things. What's been going on? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's great to be back. Great to see you. Um, It's been good. We had a trip to New York that was a work-related trip partially and partially for fun with um, with the family and always fun to get to go to New York. We, we walked around Central Park, visited some of the landmarks, saw some friends, went to Brooklyn. It was very, very cool. So nice. Yeah, it was it was a nice visit. And then in our nation's capital, I know you and I were crossing each other in the airport. We didn't get to actually meet, but <laughs> we true. were actually we were in Dulles clo- at the, the same time. <laughs> physically closest we've ever been, probably. In we the have, sense that, yes, no, we, we have met. never met in person. And I was downstairs at the baggage claim and you were upstairs at the departures at Dulles at the exactly. same time. Crazy. Yeah, that was fun. But yeah, lots going on in D.C. was the America Votes Conference, which is a big convening of a lot of folks doing organizing work in, in the states, in the swing states. So all kind of descending on the convention center. So did a lot of meetings and a lot of work uh, in response to what was happening in Tennessee and mm-hmm. organizing people, uh, organizing to send resources to folks doing that work in Tennessee uh, and other places, Florida as well. So yeah. You've missed a lot over the, this has been a full couple of weeks like I know the news was You're like this off, seems off like a chain. good time of year to take a vacation <laughs> what could possibly happen Yeah Well we were in New York on the day of Trump's arraignment too so we saw some of that That was kind of amazing history in the making to see Yeah what were you uh onlookers were you around No uh, yeah. We were people avoiding it, trying to get good bagels, Wise. but um, <laughs> but we ended up. Um, my family they saw the saw the circus and all the things as Trump was coming out, but went around it in order to to get to the good bagel shop on the other side of the street. Smart, smart, <laughs> and delicious. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's good to have you back, and you. Uh, I know our listeners are happy to have you back too, because uh, you know. Too much of me is just the only one who really likes all me is me. I like it, but no one else. Um, so let's well, talk. You did great, and Jessica Craven was amazing. That that episode last week was really great. She is, to- is totally amazing. She's got a great um, uh, letter to the editor that just got published in the L.A. Times right now about Clarence Thomas oh, cool. and um, oh, awesome. Chief Justice's uh, lack of 
action on uh, his just egregious, you know, I mean, what can you say about Clarence Thomas? It it surpasses by far anything that uh, anyone has ever seen. And and, uh, he needs to be held accountable. Doesn't look like uh, Roberts is going to do anything. Yeah. Like they say, ain't nothing going to happen. But man, Clarence Thomas deserves to be impeached so many times over. It's unbelievable. And I guess the only positive thing is just, I feel like it's almost a, a cementing of the the court not being a legitimate institution anymore. I think, you know, whether or not anything happens to him, which it may not, um, which is wild, but, but it may not, I think it sort of puts a final stake in the coffin of is this court as is currently constructed at all legitimate you know i think it really undermines it supreme court it totally does it's a really interesting point too i'm obviously not a legal expert and um it would be interesting to have uh you know a supreme court scholar on to talk about this yeah But, but i wonder how much this really does put like an asterisk on the decisions that are coming out of this court right now, uh, certainly, you know, the ethics violations and the, the you know, just egregious abuse of norms that we saw coming from the Trump administration yeah. uh, and the Republicans have brought to the forefront the need to really codify some things that haven't been codified in, in our, you know, in the executive branch. And we're seeing that with the Supreme Court right now. So I wonder, like, it's a long road to the mm-hmm. future because these are lifetime appointments, as we well know. But um, mm. but in terms of, like, the legal standing that the decisions have that are coming out of the court right now, I wonder if, mm-hmm. um, if there's an argument to be made that, you know, um, they're more tenuous, that they're not going to hold up as well because of... Uh, the egregious behavior by these justices. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. And I said justices I mean, plural. Obviously, yeah. Clarence Thomas is is the um, one that we have the most reporting. But you can look at you know Kavanaugh and the reporting about the lack of investigation yeah. into his allegations by the uh, by the FBI uh, and yeah. you know go down the list. But absolutely. All right. Well, we didn't mean yeah. to talk about Clarence Thomas, but it's, I'm glad we did. And there's, I'm you know, glad we did. It's you really, touched it's on Florida. That's all. That's all yeah. you really need to do these days is just breeze <laughs> right over Florida. Um, sorry to our listeners in Florida. God bless you. And, um, you know, it's terrible. Yeah, I know. It's really scary. The six week abortion ban is right. it's a huge blow to women, not only in Florida, but in the whole region who were needing Florida, you know, to be able to even access any abortion. So it's 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 scary, scary times in Florida. And for what it portends as the governor there is, of course, a um going to be a major nominee maybe a major Republican of a major party, the Republican Party coming up. So, yeah, yeah. never, never a bad idea to keep our eye on that one. I guess. And I guess that ties into say. some other news this week. Um, we're just like free associating right now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the Supreme Court did uh, issue a stay on the ban of Mythopristone. And uh, and we'll see how long that lasts. But, you know, again, abortion under attack. We spoke about this. So this Supreme Court says they're going to, you know, put a stay on that order until they can review it. 
Um, once again, there's been some really great organizing around this. And just last weekend, we saw the Women's March um, have their rallies. And Did you go? I, did you see it? It was the first Women's March that I've missed since Women's March launched. And mm-hmm. I had serious FOMO. I, I went to D.C. for my mom's 89th birthday. And, <laughs> and you know, our father... Uh, passed away last year, and uh, and so right. it was an opportunity to be with my mom on her birthday, and that was very important. Uh, yet I still was like, ah, I can't believe I missed the women's march because I've been uh, that's been an important part of our organizing, and um, yeah. you know, an important part of my campaign too. I've been endorsed by Women's March, and so so you know, humbling. Okay. So anyway, um, let's talk about. Uh, trying to avoid us going into default on our loans like like we got to pay our bills right don't we have to just pay our bills yeah. as a as a country or the yeah. entire credit is just you know is worthless isn't it devastating if we yes. don't pay our bills it's devastating i mean you know how it is in your own personal life when you can't pay your bills and everyone's been through that i'm sure at some point in our lives i certainly have but when it comes to the nation and the de- and everything that we have to pay for and and our the debt that we incur i mean it's not even the same as the deficit it's just a, the way that we do business and um it's the result of defaulting on that is completely catastrophic i mean it's never happened i think it happened once in the 1800s there's always uh there's been a lot of this like standoff around it over history but never have we actually defaulted and this feels like the first time uh it feels like the first time in our lifetimes that we could it could actually happen because these republicans are so off the deep end and they they are even more crazy and and wild than they have been before um it's kind of like a slow moving train wreck that you know is going to happen but you know you were doing everything we can to to prevent it so like the big issues are i mean you we saw this the seed of this when mccarthy was trying to be elected speaker and that whole circus because that this is exactly what a lot of those Republicans were holding him hostage around in order to get him elected. He right. had to promise that he would go to war on this debt debt default thing. And you've got the Biden administration who and the Democrats who actually do want something good to happen. I mean, we care about people. We don't want people's retirement accounts to be drained by the stock market crashing. And we don't want employees, federal employees to no longer have paychecks. So we care about it. But we can't negotiate with people who are holding people's livelihoods hostage like this. So we can't actually, Biden is in a tough spot because he can't actually negotiate with them until they agree to just pass a clean debt limit increase, which is something they have done many times, including three times while Trump was president. Right. So this isn't like a weird thing. This is something that they can and should do, but they're absolutely using it in their political pawn you know, games to try to hurt people and what we were talking what we talked about earlier was um today there was a little bit more of a clue because they haven't been very specific about what they want to cut and today it was a little bit of a clue that um they're going to go after food programs that actually help poor people the poorest people among Mm -hmm. us have food to have sustenance so that 
they don't die. And that's what they want to go after. And they want to put in really strict work requirements that that force people, you know, to fill out all this paperwork and put all in all these hoops and have to have jobs before they can have food. It's just, it's terrible. So that's that was today the sort of signal so that we got that. about where they're going with it. Yeah. It's so disgusting. I mean, these are children. They're, you know, they're going to, uh, they want to starve children. And seniors. And seniors. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they seem to do this with the lives of children and seniors and just use them as political pawns. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's so disgusting and, you know, it, it can't stand and Biden's not going to ne- negotiate uh, away SNAP benefits and, and, uh, we extended the the food program and brought you know twenty million people, twenty million children out of uh, you know food insecurity uh, as a result yeah. of that. And, yeah. Uh, so it's true. So it's it's a it's a big deal. I I think for us to keep an eye on and to know that this is where they're going because. Um, we're also seeing evidence in some of the work we're doing right now. We're, we're doing a lot of research right now in, at Way to Win on how to talk about the economy, how to talk about the benefits that we've passed in the last two years as they're rolling out to folks. And, you know, one of the things that has become really clear is that voters, regular voters, they have these beliefs, you know, they have these really um, entrenched beliefs that are very conservative beliefs, mm-hmm. even though they actually are with us when it comes to the policies or they actually would support us on passing some of the things we want to pass. When it comes to kind of like just a basic belief about how the economy works and and who deserves or who doesn't deserve, you know, to, to benefit in the economy, it's pretty conservative. And this... Um, this snap cut thing, it pokes right right at that hole that is a little bit um, vulnerable for us, even with our own voters. So I think that's what we need to look out for. Absolutely. And we need to do the messaging work on that, too, because, um, you know, like you said, our policies are very popular with the large swath of voters. But for some reason, Republicans still seem to win the economic favorability. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and also, you know, there's a huge mistrust of government, right? Yeah. And um, Democrats are seen as the party of government. So even if our policies are bringing people out of poverty, feeding children, you know, taking care of their health care, uh, doing the fundamental things that everyone wants from their government, we're seen as the party of big government, and uh, and government's mm-hmm. not popular. So, uh, so this is the messaging hurdle that we have as Democrats is to uh, to talk about the programs that are benefiting our communities and and lean into that. And um, mm-hmm. and talk about the values that we actually share, right? And just bring people back to those values of what actually is the kind of society that we want. Because when we get stuck in these kind of like there's some who are deserving, there's some who aren't, and how mm-hmm. hard are you working? It just it takes you out of that basic idea that I think most of us share that you know we want people to be able to have enough food for their bodies to like live their lives. You know that sort of basic value that we share. Yeah, the classic craven Republican, you know, you know, you got to pull up by your bootstraps sort of right. narrative when uh, folks don't have bootstraps. 
Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's a I, I think it's good for us to talk about this. We're gonna be talking about it more as it gets more heated. Um, there's definitely an opportunity to frame these MAGA Republicans for who they are, for how extreme they are. And I think that is important, you know, to tie what they're doing on the debt stuff to what they're doing on abortion, how the extreme they are on guns, et cetera. It's tying all of it together in a narrative about the extreme MAGA GOP. That is actually the opportunity of this moment, but it's going to take all of us being really strong on that message to, to break through. So one thing people could look at is Indivisible is doing some, um, some sessions like when you know spring sessions when people mm -hmm. are home when they're when the uh, uh, election officials on. the recess thank yeah. you that was the word <laughs> I was looking for yeah. um and so they have ways that people can plug into going to events and bird dogging which means you know finding a way to get in front of a representative and ask them a question and they've actually provided strategic guidance um, messaging guidance using all the best available tools that we have to frame questions for people that can then. Um, help support other reporters asking those questions, you know, more media pressure on them. So that's that's a, a big sort of volunteer thing, but it is something people could look into doing. Great. We'll have that link on our show notes, and that'll be part of your to-do list. Um, while we're here, let's talk about uh, the rest of your to-do list. Um, we have an amazing interview coming up with the amazing Ed Bagley Jr., who um, I'm fortunate enough to call a friend, and I've known him for a long time. And Melinda, my wife, uh, worked on a show with him uh, years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got so much great, I mean, you know, he's OG environmentalist, right? He, he's such a um, cool guy. He was like beta tester for every uh, every home product and, and every way to like personally lower your carbon footprint. Um, if it's mm -hmm. out there, he's he's implemented it. Um, so as we launch into Earth Day uh, this Saturday, um, our to-do list for our listeners is um, you're going to listen to some great ideas from Ed about how you can make a personal change in your own life. But um, really think and be intentional about what you're going to do in your own life or in your community to reduce your carbon footprint and, uh, and you know, come together as a community uh, to fight back against climate change. And I've got one that I sort of do, but I'm not really vigilant enough about it. And Ed brings this up too. Um, I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, I still eat meat and uh, I, I try to source it responsibly. And, um, you know, but I, I still do love a burger and I still do eat steak, but I'm going to commit to one, this is such an easy thing to do. It feels lame even like making a stand on this. Simple to do, but I'm going to commit to one day a week, uh, all vegetarian day. And, uh, mm -hmm. and maybe I'll utz that to two, but I pretty much do that, but I just want to commit to it. I want to have a mm -hmm. meatless, uh, meatless day. And, uh, and if we all did that, that one simple thing, uh, that would greatly help us, um, you know, as a community reduce our carbon footprint. 
Yeah, it, it's really important. It's something that we're going to have to grapple with, certainly on the beef, uh, at least. Yeah. So I've, yep. I've been definitely cutting back on the beef. And I, I like that idea of tough one. just taking one day. I was going to say, I don't know if you've tried the Impossible Burger, but I think it's really good. It actually. is good. Yep. Yeah, it, it does give you the sense of what it's like to have a burger. I know it's not exactly the same, but it's it's not bad, actually. And I appreciate I appreciate everyone who's doing that work in the space of kind of like meat alternatives because the better they are, the more we can switch to that over time, you know. And and truly, when Ed was talking about the the early days of the environmental movement, I mean, if you tried to eat some of the tempeh or whatever at that point in time, <laughs> you would not have been that happy. You're so, very committed. You're very committed to the cause. It's now come a long way. Veggie <laughs> grill down the street from here is delicious. They have so much good stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. So what I was excited. What about you? Yeah, I was excited because um, our our old car was kind of go, going on the fritz and going down, and we knew we had to trade it in in order to have a car. And so we ended up being able to trade it in for a new hybrid. It's a plug-in hybrid CRV, Honda mm. CRV. Um, sorry, Toyota CRV. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Yes. Yeah, so what's cool no, about it, it? No, it's Toyota. It is. It's CRV? yes, it is okay. Toyota. <laughs> you okay. got me confused. I believe it's okay. it's you. My you just fault. got the car. It's your car. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Toyota CRV. And what's cool about it, which I hadn't realized, this is a new, it's called the Prime. So it's a new kind, which is that it's a plug-in. So there's you can actually, it's actually an electric vehicle. Up if you charge it up. It goes 42 miles on all the electrons, and then it does have a tank of gas that you use if you need to go on longer trips or, you know, if you didn't get a chance to charge. But we bought it um, a, a month and a half ago, and we still haven't had to put any more gas in it. So we're still going on one tank of gas. And ultimately, what with how much of the electrons we're using, it looks like we might get 1,000 miles per gallon, uh, you know, of, wow. on the gas. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of incredible, and and it did really hit home for me because we only have one car, and we needed the flexibility to be able to go places that are farther where you can't with just one electric car. But to make the step is really important because now when I'm driving around, most of the time that we're driving around, if we need to use the car, we're not using any gas, and it, it does feel amazing. And it does feel like the future. And and Ed's right. Not everyone can do it. It's expensive. Still, you know, you may yep. not be able to get like the rebates yet. But um, but it is it is really important to take that that personal step. It's been really meaningful for us. We're gonna look so into cool. that one. The mm -hmm. the Honda CRV. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we anyway. have, we have just the one. Uh, we have an all electric mini. Uh, and it is so okay. fun That's and so cool. and so zippy, and it gets about a hundred miles. So uh, it's pure electric, and um, we can go pretty pretty far distances on it, but not not a lot. And and we're in the market for a second car right now. And I think like a plug-in hybrid is probably the way to go. Also, because right mm. now the pure electrics are still very expensive. They're they're not there's not a lot that are accessible. Some, but not all. Oh my god! I'm just realizing what happened. I mislabeled my. It's the Rob Four, isn't it? It's the Rob Four. Okay, I'm not editing that. For our listeners, yeah. I knew the CRV was a Honda. I knew it. We've been looking at cars. Oh my god! You have a that wonderful Prime uh, plug-in Rav Four. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's it. So it's great. <laughs> Sorry about that. I did not mean to. Okay. Well, we're, this has yeah. been this has been car talk. This has and been educational. We'll, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um. All right. Well, but let's. Can I say one other thing? Is that um. We, I have uh, our neighbors and our um, my good friend, the 16-year-old Arlo, they are an amazing environmental activist. And one of the things that they do a lot is plant trees. And I think that's also something people mm. should do. You know, it, it just matters. Like how many trees that we have is going to matter in terms of, you know, the carbon and everything. So um, I also think that's something I want to do more of. Shout out to Arlo. That's, yeah, shout out to Arlo and everyone who's planting trees. What a great way to celebrate Earth Day um, by planting a tree. And that's a fun thing to do with your family, too. Uh, Make it a tradition with your kids and and get that going early. Um, All right. Well, that gives me a lot of hope. I, you know, we've been uh, prattling on here talking, you know, cars. uh, And I really want everyone to hear um, our interview with Ed. So maybe we just jump right into that. Um, so without any further ado, here's our interview with the one and only Ed Bakley Jr. Ed Bagley Jr. is an actor and environmental activist known from his appearances in hundreds of films, television shows, and stage performances. He also co-hosted, along with his wife, Rochelle Carson, the Green Living reality show titled Living with Ed, which I love to mention because uh, you're both good friends of mine, and I'm thrilled to have you on How We Win. Thanks for taking the time here on Earth Week to talk to us. Steve, it's always great to talk to you, especially today. I know you care deeply about the environment. I know Melinda does, and bless you both. So it's always great to see you and talk with you. Thank you. And we have a lot to talk about, um, uh, environmental uh, issues that we do want to discuss. But we, I want to talk a little bit about your career as an actor first, because that's super fun. And you've had such an incredible and varied career. Um, I think everyone has probably their favorite Ed Begley Jr. role. What's what's been the highlight for you? And you don't have to say it's the show that you were on with my wife. You it can be something else. <laughs> my favorite job is probably St. Elsewhere, a series in the 80s, a hospital show, merely by the the fact of its longevity. You know, it lasted six years. I've never had a series last six years, but that one. That was a great run for me. And then you get into the incredible writing by Tom Fontana and all the other great writers. Then you get into the directing by Mark Tinker and the other great directors. Then you get into the cast of Denzel Washington and David Morris and Christina Pickles and Bonnie Bartlett and Bill Daniels and Ed Flanders. And I'll shut up, but you get the idea. Great actors, great writing, great directors. What a dream that was. Yeah, no, don't shut up about that because it, like it's – if people, I guess, aren't familiar with it. You ought to go back and look at it. The The cast is just mm-hmm. incredible. And um, and you won, what, like seven Emmys in a row for that? I'm, this is off the top of my head, so forgive me. I've won a sum total of zero, but I was nominated seven times, six for St. <laughs> Elsewhere, one for another show recently, but... I'm hey, I'm happy okay. to be nominated for anything. That's amazing. All right, that's what well, I get I'll, for not doing my in, research. <laughs> I gotta Always put in a my plug. Man, never a bribe. <laughs> I gotta put in my plug on behalf of my family for this is Final Tap and Best in Show are our big family favorites. So thank you so much. Okay, you want to talk movies? Those are two of my favorite, favorite movies. My God, just great, so great fun. stuff. Spinal Tap is a classic. 
And uh, Best in Show is one of the best movies I've ever been in. It really is hilarious. Now, go on with the list. I got to work with Meryl Streep and She Devil. How lucky am I? Got to work with Jack Nicholson and Going South and Bob Hoskins and Michael Caine and John Lithgow in World War II when Lions Roared. I've I've done a lot of different films and TV shows with incredible talent. So I'm, I'm a lucky man. Incredible. Amazing. Going back to Spinal Tap, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this or not. I mean, it wasn't told to me with any kind of non-disclosure, but I know uh, they're actually making a sequel. Rob Reiner is working on a sequel to Spinal Tap right now. Did did you know about that? Would you be making... Uh, I had heard that. Yes, yeah. I had heard that. I cannot come back because I'm a deceased drummer, one of the many oh. drummers who died <laughs> in an odd fashion. I died in a bizarre gardening accident. <laughs> so Stumpy will not be back. But uh, uh. I certainly uh, want to see that movie. I'm going to be there with cash in hand to get a ticket for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I what that. a great movie. You and me both. So fun. Exciting. Um, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, you know, Chris Guest. Good stuff. Bob Reiner. What a cast. And you said that St. Elsewhere was your longest running show, but you got close with Better Call Saul, too, because that, that was on uh, Yeah, good I wasn't in the first year, but I think I came into the show on the second, maybe. I'm pretty sure. And that ran... I think it was six years, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. I believe it was six years. So I, I did five of those six years on that show. Occasionally, just one or two episodes in a, a season. But happy to have that. Whenever I got that call from that, you know, New Mexico area code, I got very, very excited. You know, <laughs> I just love Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. Love the cast. Bob is fantastic. Patrick Fabian Ray. You know. Just Jonathan Banks, all of them. It's just heaven on earth to be on the set with all of them. So fun. Well, I get to hang out with you all uh, soon at at your house for a fundraiser for our campaign. So that's, but now, now that's, that's self, self promoting. (laughs) We can stay away from that and start talking about the environment. Okay. You may not be able to self promote, but I'm going to (laughs) promote. You'd be so great in the California assembly. I'm supporting you in every possible way. I'm going to have friends by my house to help get them involved because uh, you're fantastic. And I love to see you in the state assembly and other offices beyond that. So let's, let's do it. Let's come hang out on a Sunday very soon and uh, we'll get some new friends. Thank you, my friend. I wasn't fishing for that, but I definitely won't edit it out either. Um, (laughs) Do not, please. We love it. Not adhering to some campaign law. Campaign finance. Uh, <laughs> we play by the book, by the rules here. Oh yeah, go yeah. to the letter of the law. Yeah, we keep it. We keep it straight up around here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so I'd love to just talk a little bit about since it's Earth Week, just start diving in because we know that you have literally been walking this walk for much longer than most. Uh, you were an environmental activist before it was cool. So I'm curious to hear more about. What got you first into your work as an environmental activist? How did you first get propelled into taking action? The turning point was the first Earth Day in 1970. That's when I really became an activist and got involved. But it started before that. By that, I mean, I was living in L.A. from the time I was born in that horrible choking smog of Los Angeles and the San Fernando Valley. You couldn't see the mountains, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. 300 days a year, they were invisible to you. 
after the rain or some winds or what have you, you'd see there were mountains there, but it wasn't just visual blight. It seared your lungs. As a young man, I couldn't run from, you know, the front door to the car without wheezing like this. And I'm not an asthmatic, but I behaved like one because it was just really, really bad. So when they said they're having the first Earth Day, I went, well, what do you what do you want to accomplish? We want to clean up the air. We want to clean up the water. When sign me up. I live in L.A. And by the way, I'd seen the Santa Barbara oil spill the year before in 69, what that horrible oil spill did to the Santa Barbara coast. Signed me up for that, for cleaning up the water. I wasn't there, but I heard about it, the Cuyahoga River catching fire in 1969. There was so much pollution on it, some of it flammable. It caught fire and burned for a while there. I don't think that's a good sign when rivers catch fire. I just thought that kind of a sign of the apocalypse. Yeah. (laughs) Bad news. So first Earth Day, I got involved in everything that I could, and it turned out to be a lot. Yeah, there is so much to do. What were some of the first things that you remember doing? Like, how did you actually, what was your on-ramp? Well, I was a broken, struggling actor, so I couldn't do what I wanted to do, which is to have solar panels on my roof and have a fancy electric car. But (laughs) I did start recycling, composting, became a vegetarian, used all biodegradable, you know, soaps and cleansers. I uh, even bought a 1970 electric car. When I say car, I'm being quite grand. We're talking about a golf cart with a windshield wiper and a horn. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a golf cart with a T, really, if you're going to be right. honest about things. But it had a California license plate, and I drove it around on a smoggy day or a rainy day. You know, when I wouldn't want to be standing at a bus stop. They had no shelter bus stops back then. You know, just out in the elements or riding my bike in the rain. I could take that electric car. I even took Cindy Williams out on a date in that electric car. The <laughs> wonderful lady who we lost this past year, who is Shirley and Laverne and Shirley, if anybody remembers that show. Of course. A great mm. show with Penny Marshall called Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. I took her on a date. I'd met her on this show, Room 222. And I took her on a date in my electric car. And all I can say is there was not a second date. <laughs> wasn't exactly a babe magnet, this car. It was ahead of I its time. I hadn't fully charged it or something. By the time we finally got to the restaurant, I picked her up and went to the restaurant. It was like crawling up the hill. There was a kid on big wheels passing us by, I think. It was really, <laughs> it, was, wow. it, was, it wasn't the second day, but she remained my friend for the rest of our lives together. And wonderful, wonderful lady, wonderful actress. But I, I stuck with the electric car. I moved to Boulder, Colorado for a while, and I rode a Peugeot bicycle there. When I came back to L.A., I sought out fuel-efficient cars because electric couldn't get me from my home in Studio City to the ice house where I was uh, performing. My little electric Mm. car wouldn't make it that far. Mm. So I then got like a really fuel-efficient car at the time, which was a Carmen Ghia. And I just tried to do everything I could Mm. within the real world, you know, with what I was up against. And in Boulder, Colorado, I didn't need any Carmen Ghia or any kind of a car. Peugeot bicycle was enough transportation in a town like that. Mm. But in the L.A. area, the distance I had to travel to go do an acting job or play at the Club of the Ice House, I needed some sort of vehicle, and I just always made it the most fuel efficient. Then 1990, I returned to electric cars, and I haven't looked back since. Since 1990, it's been all electrics. Yeah. You've... uh as you just articulated, tried just about everything. You, not just about. You've literally tried everything to lower your carbon footprint, uh, including yeah. including how you build and and now uh, you know the how. I'm I, I've never been to your house since you built your new house. I'm excited to come over and check it out. Um, 
not a lot of people have, you know, access to everything that you've tried. So, you know, right now as we're thinking about Earth Day again and what people can do on their own, what are the easiest and most practical changes that just everyday folk can make in their own lives to reduce their carbon footprint? Good question. When people ask me, I can't live in a fancy house like you live in today or have a fancy car like you have today, I say to them, neither could I until just a few years ago. You know, I couldn't do a lot of the stuff I even did back in the 80s, you know, till I had been in the environmental movement for 15 years. I finally put solar hot water in my house in 85, solar electric in my house in 1990. So you say you can't afford these things. You know, I certainly can relate when people say that to me, uh, you know, cause I couldn't afford them either. So I mm -hmm. just did everything that I could. And it was a short list of things you could do in 1970 when I started, but now the list is long. You know, you can buy energy efficient light bulbs. You can get an energy saving thermostat. You can still ride a bike if weather and fitness permits, just like I did in 1970. You can take public transportation if it's available near you, like it was in 1970. Uh, you Which know, you did to the Oscars this uh, recent year, That's too. right. My daughter and I <laughs> went to the Oscars. Rochelle isn't as much game for that kind of a thing, riding the subway to the Oscars. She'll take public transportation with me occasionally, but not in a ball gown. So but Hayden's more has the pioneer spirit. I even rode my bike to the Oscars a few times, so... Uh, Rochelle, of course, wasn't ready to ride in the handlebars, so she went with a friend who was going there anyway in a pure electric vehicle, so there's no extra carbon footprint for us being separated for that time getting there. But you do the best you can. Not everybody can do, you know, the big ticket items like solar or things like that. But if you do the smaller things, if you pick the low-hanging fruit first, make your home more efficient, you know, buy those light bulbs, buy the energy-saving thermostat and program it, do the, everything you can, become a vegetarian, if not every day of the week, one day a week and maybe two and build from there. You know, just do everything you can with your diet and your behavior to tread more lightly on the earth and that we can begin begin to turn this around. But everybody's got to do everything. But keep in mind, I, I, I really emphasize this now, Steve, I didn't used to. I used to talk all about personal action and that's important, but it's only one of three pillars that you need to support the environmental movement. Personal action, corporate responsibility, people actually finally now making electric cars rather than the kind of home-built ones I used to drive you know, in 1990 and the, the little thing I drove in 1970. You know, personal responsibility, corporate action, and good legislation. That's how we cleaned up the air in LA from 1970, horrible smog, it was the Clean Air Act. And that was signed by Richard Nixon. So this should be and must be a bipartisan effort. We need to work across the aisle to make sure we can clean up the air in our cities, lessen our dependence on foreign oil, and put money in our pockets. Because if we do it right, we will, as I have at every turn, save money. Yeah. Can I follow up on that really quickly? Because I think one of the challenges that we hear from people is that they get too overwhelmed by the problem. It seems like the problem is so big and so right. hard to change that, that they don't even decide to take the action that they can take. So I'm curious in your life as you've encountered people, what do you find is the most persuasive argument to actually get people to let go of that fear and just dive into doing the work? I remind them what we've done thus far. Specifically, the, the LA Air Basin. We have four times the cars in LA from 1970, millions more people, but a fraction of the smog. 
it's much, much cleaner than it was. There's still mm -hmm. dirty air, not as bad as 1970 air, but it's dirty air and must not be and should not be near the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. We've got to clean it up. We've got to help those neighborhoods, those people working there, and also near the fulfillment centers and the freeway interchanges. we got to help those people out. There's still unhealthful air there. We're not done, but it's much, much better in many, many parts of LA. We've got to make it good for everybody in the LA air basin. And we've done that with cleaner power plants, cleaner cars, all the stuff that I talked about, people taking more public transportation, riding bike, bicycles, all the stuff, little and big, made a big difference. That's one. The other one is, look at what we did with CFCs and the ozone depletion. Mm -hmm. We knew there's a problem with the ozone hole in the Southern Hemisphere, even worse than our Northern Hemisphere. Very, very bad. It was dangerous. People were getting more skin cancer and what have you. With the loss of that ozone layer, there's a big hole and getting bigger. Everybody jumped in, Pe business people, legislators, Republicans, Democrats jumped in. We're going to ban CFCs. We'll still have another chemical, you know, that won't be as damaging to the ozone. And we can do that. And the, that hole is not the same size. It's not bigger. It's smaller. And be wary of the naysayers. They said when we talked about banning CFCs, you'll never be able to buy a refrigerator again. You'll never be able to buy an air conditioner. Right. Open the paper. I'm told they sell such things still. <laughs> I've heard, I've seen a few ads. I think they might still be selling refrigerators and air conditioners. Yeah, we have, just had we to have both of those find things. a new way to do it. And they did. American Ingenuity, we did that. And yeah. the world all adopted a lot of our technology for this, you know, solar and many of the things that we pioneered here. And so we have to do that. We have to continue to be inventive and, and make sure the world has the availability of these clean technologies that many of which we've, we've found here. That's a great point. And it's part of what we say and writ large, some of our messaging we did, we can, we will, and reminding people of the, of the power that we have when we act together. You know what else? I think people are still, you know, overwhelmed by the problems A good many people are, but I think there's another section of the population that is overwhelmed by the solutions. That <laughs> is to say the vast array of choices. There's so many yeah. choices. I don't know what to do. You know, as we talked about a few minutes ago, what exactly do you tell people to do? You just make a simple list for them. Start here. Here's the camping gear that you need to go up so far high and the, the hill you got to climb up to the top of Mount Everest, hopefully. But you mm -hmm. need this and that. You know, energy saving light bulbs, energy saving thermostat, bike riding, a further fitness permit, public transportation that's available near you, home gardening, home composting, diet, all those things. Do that first. And not everybody's going to make it to the summit and get a fancy electric car and solar electric on their house. But climb as high as you can. Do what you can. And if everybody did their part, we can make a big change. Right. Well, you talked about that. And um, also you, you mentioned how important it is to have strong uh, legislation uh you know, mm -hmm. also like here in California, our climate strategy sets, I'm using air quotes, listener, uh, an ambitious 2030 goal of cutting greenhouse gases by 48% compared to 1990. Uh, many folks, and I'm sure you are included in this, have seen the recent UN report that says we really have to go much farther and faster to fully yes, divest from fossil fuels uh, to try to save our planet from the worst repercussions of climate change. So um, you're tuned into the policy th side of things, obviously. What are the most important steps we can take as a state to lead on this, asking for a friend who is running for assembly and doesn't want his daughter to live through the apocalypse? 
what I'm <laughs> very good. What I think we need to do is really, you know, be tr truthful and faithful to all the stuff that we have on the on our plate now. That is to say, to meet some of these goals that we have for greenhouse gas reduction and the amount of electric cars, the amount of electric car charging. We're leading the country and the world once again here in California with the amount of you know charging infrastructure that we've committed to and the amount of electric cars that we want by a certain date and the amount of solar panels we want up. We just need to realize that dream that we have. And I think we can do it. I, I think we just got to set, set ourselves uh, you know, in a good position to accomplish it. And everybody's got to be reasonable about it too. I think a good deal of our solar is going to come you know, from our rooftops and we need that needs to be a priority and microgrids and what have you and local neighborhoods. But I think there needs to be some large scale solar in a place where it's not environmentally sensitive. We need to have it in a place that's reasonable, not going to harm any plant or animal species, but we need to have some large, you know, power sources that are green. And we also, not also in first position is putting much solar on rooftops, what have you, and making every home and office energy efficient. Before you put up one solar panel, you want to make sure you have an energy audit, you know, to see how you can reduce your power demand before you put up solar. People regularly ask me for a number of good solar installer and solar company. And I write down a number in hand and they go, what the hell is this? You know, Acme Home Energy Audits. I don't wanna, I said I wanted solar. I said, I want you to get solar. I want you to reduce your demand. They may try to sell you seven kilowatts, but you only need four or five after you reduce your demand, get the right kind of lighting, get the right kind of heating and air unit, get the right kind of insulation, the right kind of windows, and you're gonna save a lot of money on solar panels. So. We have to be reasonable about this, set goals that are, you know, reachable and set up, you know, set ourselves up for success in, in so doing. Great advice. So um, we, we always like to ask our guests um, because it's something that we think is really important that drives all of us, especially when the news can be really dark and hard sometimes is just what gives you hope. And so we'd love to hear from you. What is really giving you hope right now? my daughter and the other young people like her that are out there yeah. trying to make a change. Greta Thunberg, look what she's doing on a world scale. Just amazing, amazing what she's doing. She's waking everybody, including me up. You know, you get kind of lazy about things. You get kind of jaded about things. You think you get depressed about the lack of progress, but she came out there swinging, you know, our world is on fire and nobody's paying attention. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what it is. Hey, I was raised by a wonderful, wonderful Republican father. He was a conservative who liked to conserve. He never really used the word environmentalist, but he was one. You know, he was the son of Irish immigrants. He lived through the Great Depression. We saved string, we saved tinfoil, we turned off the water, we turned off the lights. A great man. And a lot of fiscal conservatives saying, I know we need to do X, Y, and Z for climate change, but we can't afford it. We can't afford not to do it. For that, I mean, if I got a roof that's leaking, I may not have the cash in my hand to do it, but I gotta go get the credit card I try not to use and go fix that roof. I'm gonna have to replace the floor. I'm gonna have to replace the appliances. I'm gonna have to pull out the drywall because of the mold. You know, I'm gonna have a much bigger problem. We have to find the money to address climate change or the bill is gonna be much, 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 much bigger. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, our kids do inspire me every day too and, uh, and motivate us. Uh, you know, both 
to follow their lead and also work hard, like I said, so that they're not living through the apocalypse because they are inheriting um, a much more difficult future than uh, than we had to live through. So um, we went from hope and I just turned it dark all of a sudden. I just went the other <laughs> way with it. My apologies. Not dark. But- <laughs> we're going to do it. We're going to do it, Steve. Nothing dark about it. We're really, we're going to work with them and work with the people that uh, need to help us in industry and in the st- in state government and federal government and local government. And we're leading here in California. And I know you're going to be part of that leadership. So yeah. I'm going to continue to support good people like you. Well, thank I you. I agree. Thank you both. Thank you, Ed, so much for your uh, friendship and your support. And uh, thanks for being here on the show. My pleasure, pal. Thank you so much, Ed. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at Jen Ancona. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. I could say this at the end of the show when no one is listening to us right now and everyone has stopped, <laughs> but uh, I think I'll share the link to the fundraiser at Ed Begley Jr.'s house in our show notes. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you want to come meet Ed Begley Jr. and Dietrich Bader and Patrick Fabian and Gina Belafonte and a whole bunch of other really cool actors, um, there'll be a link in the show notes for you to uh, come to that fundraiser. That'll be really fun. I love that. And I'd love to meet you personally, myself, too. So... Uh, reward for those listeners who stay yeah, until the end. That's what you get when you <laughs> listen to the end. You get the, the good tips. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, we will be back with some more next Wednesday.